Psalm 95, a lesson on worship. As this is the, the last Sunday of the year, it is good for us to give thanks to God for His mercies. It is also the last Sunday in this location, as I've mentioned before, where we have served and, and, and worshipped for about uh, almost seven years. And Psalm 95 is a, is a psalm specifically dedicated to worship, but it's also challenging in that it's, not, it's also God speaking to us and exhorting us. Scholars suggest that it was used at a particular time of the year in the life of Israel. It was a, a festival called the, the, the Feast of, of Tabernacle uh, that they remembered a particular time in their history and so they celebrated by um, going outside and living in, in booths, booths or let's say, let's call it small tents or little huts that they made out of palm branches. And they would live there in these, traditionally they would celebrate this by going out there for seven days to remember what life was like for 40 years as they wandered through the wilderness. And they would remember their mistakes and they would remember God's grace and forgiveness. So this particular psalm was used in that festival. It wasn't just all celebration, but it was also a sobering time. And for us, while we don't celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, I think it's important as we come together as a church and as we worship and as we hear God's Word to also understand as the people of God the journey that we travel through. And even though no author is mentioned for this particular psalm, the, the book of Hebrews attributes this psalm to King David. And you will note that there are two uneven sections, two very distinct sections. The first is a call to worship and the second is a warning against ingratitude, rebellion. And the way we will look at it is in three parts where we will learn about rejoicing, about reverence and also what should be our proper response to God and his voice. First of all, in verses 1 to 5, rejoicing. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And why do we do this? For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. So because of the invitation to come, to come and, and worship the Lord, this psalm is called a call to worship. And the most easily recognised form of corporate worship is music and singing. Worship involves singing together because song and music is an expression of thanksgiving and praise directed to God. 
doesn't just happen when we come together. It happens when you're driving, you're in the shower, you're at work or working in the garden, whatever it might be. Many times you find yourself singing to the tune of a hymn or a song that expresses what you feel to God. But singing becomes special when we can do it together, corporately, when we can come together as the people of God and sing his praises. And this is certainly very important as it stirs up our emotions. That's what it's meant to do. Sometimes there are tears of joy as certain songs bring out memories of special times in our our lives. Sometimes tears of sadness when we, when the words convict us, when we are confronted by our own sinfulness and God's holiness. If used in a proper manner, our, our emotions are not, are not to be feared, are not to be suppressed. What we should be careful of is, is, is not to sing in a detached manner. Not with it. Our voices sing and our minds are somewhere else because we know the tune, we know the words and so we don't make the connection to the heart. This is because half-hearted singing produces dullness in a service. It's easy to get the women to sing, it's harder to get the men to sing as well. For some reason they're more embarrassed. But at the footy, they're not so embarrassed, right? They just grunt. So the exhortation here, it's like a stadium. It says, shout aloud. Shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. I'm not shouting. You're not going to get me to shout. Inappropriate. We're a Baptist church, remember? Subdued. Very subdued. Almost. Can't. Can't shout. Sorry. Shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And as we read verses 3 to 5, a good reason for thanksgiving and praise is because we are, we are related to God in creation. He made all of this. He made all of this. Here we have the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains, the breadth of the sea, the dry land, all the things that challenge men that hold forth the, 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 the promise of, of adventure. Excitement, fascination, let's go to the bush, let's go for a, let's go and discover and take photos and, and go camping somewhere. Let's, and, and people do this, especially this time of year. There are some people, some men and women who do it very seriously. They risk their lives exploring Antarctica, climbing Everest, swimming across the channels. 70% of the earth is covered by water. 
And little by little we're exploring more and more of the, the oceans and the depths and the, and the secrets of the depths of the oceans. Some do it for the, the beauty to behold and new species, species discoveries and, and all of that, but increasingly a lot more people are thinking about the resources that are contained within the oceans. And when the psalmist talks about the great king above all gods, is he suggesting that there is a pantheon of gods in heaven and God is the greatest? A bit like Greek mythology, you know, type of thing. No. Despite what others think, he's not suggesting that at all. Only that men think there are there is one big God and other little gods around them. And as we know, every pagan society erects idols and call them gods. Even those who deny the existence of God, like Buddhism, like the Buddhists, they have idols they worship because ultimately, invariably, these gods they worship are simply a projection of themselves. Even unbelievers, you might have heard it, even unbelievers, you might have seen the scene in, in movies and, and even expressed it in, in the work office. I don't know where they, uh, you know, I'm just really thankful. And you know they're not Christian, you know they're atheists and they're saying, I'm really thankful for what, who are you thankful to? Oh, I don't know, whoever. They don't want to go into it. But as the children of God, surely we have one of the great benefits. We can be thankful to God. We're not ashamed of that. But it just, just the mere fact that they want to be thankful is, it goes to prove that no man is without some form of God because man is inherently and necessarily a worshipping being. Having said all that, the sooner that man worships the one true God, the better off he will be. So let us thank God, not only because he's in charge of all the resources that he gives to us to sustain our lives, but because we don't have to keep searching, keep wondering, Keep looking for another God. Only He is true and worthy. These are the things that we must always remember in good times and in bad times. Be truly thankful and praise God for the big things and the everyday things that we often take for granted and say, Lord, Thank you for, for that. You brought it together. You got someone to encourage me through a word. You brought to my mind someone that I needed to pray for. Even though that person may or may not know that I'm praying for them, it doesn't matter. God does. Give thanks to God for that. Dr. Ironside, H.A. Ironside, a big preacher from a few years ago, 
used to tell of an experience he once had at a restaurant. He ordered his meal and just as he was about to eat, a man walked up to his table and said, Do you mind if I sit down with you? And Dr. Ironside said, No, it's quite all right. So the man sat down. As was his custom, Dr. Ironside bowed his head and said a silent word of thanksgiving to the Lord before he ate, before the meal. And when he lifted up his head, the man said to him, Do you have a headache? Ironside said, No, I don't. The man said, Well, is there anything wrong with your food? Ironside said, No, why? Well, the man said, I saw you sitting there with your head down and I thought you must be sick or there was something wrong with your food. And Ironside replied, No, I was simply returning thanks to God as I always do before I eat. The man said, Oh, you're one of those, are you? Well, I want you to know that I never give thanks. I earn my money by the sweat of my brow and I don't give thanks to anyone when I eat. I just start right in. Dr. Ironson said, yes, you're just like my dog. That's what he does too. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? But very true. Reverence, verses 6 to 7. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. So there are two distinct forms of worship here. So verse 1 was, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Now the other appeal is, Bow down in worship. One is out here, the other one is down this way. One is an invitation to sing out loud, the other is an invitation for reverence in prayer. It is proper that we should worship in this way, for even in the early days of Israel, they had a combination. This was a pattern of worship. And I know, according to our characters, some things, some, some of us are more appealing towards the, you know... That type of worship, shout aloud, sing aloud. Others are more reverential. Quieter than a church mouse, as they say. Notice that the language has changed somewhat. It's no longer God our creator, but it is rather God our redeemer. It's more personal, our saviour. We are the, the sheep of his hand and the people of his pasture. He is more personally the the shepherd God. We have entered into a personal care, a personal relationship with him. And the proper expression is one of humility. Let us bow down in worship. This is the amazing love of God that has pursued us personally. Despite the excuses and the obstacles, his love has kept after us, has broken down our reserves, he has won us over. As sheep in his pasture, we tend to behave like our woolly woolly friends, we tend to follow the crowd and do what everybody else is doing. 
in the old movie, you remember the movie um, where a pig talks and speaks? The movie was called Babe. It's an Australian movie, Babe. There is a remark in, in, in that, that expresses where the, the pig is talking and the pig says, everybody knows that sheep are stupid. Isaiah, I think, is a little bit more uh, more soft in this expression. Isaiah expresses it in a more kind manner when he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. That's what he says in Isaiah 53, verse 6. All, just like sheep, gone astray. But God has not abandoned his children. He has pursued us, found us, brought us back. Thus, out of a, of a sense of, of gratitude, we kneel before the Lord, our Redeemer and Saviour, thank Him for His amazing love. We all have very different backgrounds and testimonies. We all have different experiences, but in the end, the same God who has brought us together. So we worship through song and prayer. We praise him for what he has done and for who he is. So what should be a proper response? Verse 7, the second part of verse 7 to verse 11. So today, if you hear his voice, I'll repeat that. Today, if you hear his voice, Okay, if you're still asleep, I'll say it again. Today, if you hear his voice, the worst thing you can do is to harden your heart. So do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared in on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. So note the, the, the change of voice in these last few verses. The first part has been was, was a human call to other men to, to worship God. Let us come, let us worship the Lord. But now it's the voice of God himself who speaks, preceded with this admonition. It says, today, if you hear his voice. It is now God who speaks. Who speaks to us to tell us that what, we, what he requires in our worship, that which makes worship meaningful, that we would listen to his voice, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Listen to his voice. But in that, it's not just, yeah, 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 I'll listen to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you, Dad, okay? I don't want to get up, all right? I'll leave it for later. Today, if you hear his voice, that means now... Do not harden your hearts because if you don't 
follow through on what you just listen and obey what he just told you, then it's like, you haven't heard anything, have you? It is great to come together, but the value of the experience is minimized if our thoughts are, are, are wandering somewhere else, even as I'm speaking now. From here, it might look like you're all paying attention. But having sat there myself, I know that some of you are probably thinking. Some of you, are your, your watch has stopped working, you know. It's already ten minutes. Some are fishing. Some are cooking. Some are planning the trip that they're going to take these holidays. Others are paying the bills in your mind, saying, "Oh, I've got to pay the water." Can I can I just say that out of the 168 hours in the week, one and a half hours at the most that we spend here together, it's not a lot. It's not a lot, really. And I know that some have to travel further and set up and all of this and all the preparation, but whatever we do, it's, it's not for me, it's, it's not for the music team, it's not for, for everybody else who is here, it's not for the board. We do it for God. He is he's talking to us, to me, to you. He's trying to get through to us about what is important, what is true worship, what is a life lived for him. So the central part of worship is to, to listen to the word of God, the voice of God. And this is why the, the reading and the teaching and the preaching of scripture is a central part of worship. And in the history of the church, as you know, there have always been temptations to move away from that, to be distracted by other things. Some have become more liturgical. Others, it's all about the music. Others offer, get up to the pulpit and offer nothing more than personal opinions or story after story or just you know, personal improvement tips, how to be a better father, a mother, how to be a, a better leader, and so on and so forth. Something that will tickle the ears of the crowd. But there can be no true worship if we're not listening to God, hearing what He says. Get soaked into the Word. Correct our attitudes and reactions. If, if we are offended by the word of God, good on you. God is talking to you. Maybe you need to change something, eh? Because God is God. And when God gives a strong warning, especially a lesson from history as we're about to see, he says, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. 
as you did. He doesn't say, as they did, your fathers did. He does that in other places, but here he says, as you did. They were there. They were there with their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers. When they failed, we also failed. Do not have any hearts. As, as they did at Meribah, you did it. Masa in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me. Though they had seen what I did. The hardening of the heart is the, the opposite of listening attentively to his voice. It is the opposite of obeying and putting into action what you've just heard. You've just dismissed what you've heard and you're going to go on living your life however you want. That's hardening the heart. And this is this. What is the psalmist referring to here? This is uh, an example of what happened back in Exodus chapter 17, which occurred very shortly after they had just did a, a, an amazing. They had witnessed an amazing miracle, the crossing of the Red Sea, after the ten plagues in Egypt. God delivered them, they saw what he did and only after one week into the desert, into their deliverance, they come to a place where there was no water and they became thirsty and they started what? Started complaining. Where is this God you told us about? Where is he? He brought us out here. But you guys just saw the deliverance of God. You cried out to him. He delivered you. He delivered you from slavery. You saw the the parting of the sea. You saw those miracles. And here you are complaining. A week into the journey. The words Meribah and Masa means quarreling and testing. Quarreling and testing. How did they end up a week into the journey into a place where there was no water, no food? How did they end up there? Well, God delivered them there. God took them there for what purpose? For testing. No, but I thought he was supposed to lead us into green pastures. What happened to the land of milk and honey and all of that? God led them there specifically for testing. God testing them. He did this by withholding water for a little while. And what happened? They failed miserably. Despite everything that they have seen God do. See, we forget so quickly. So quickly. If only I could see a miracle of God and, and experience his deliverance. And he does, and a week later, back to normal again. And this is a pattern for the people of Israel that would happen for the next 40 years in the desert and a pattern that will continue into the promised land. On and on it goes. God delivered them 
for testing. In the early 90s, true story, in the early 90s, some scientists come up, come up with a, the idea of building an, an environment called a, a biosphere 2 because biosphere 1 is the earth. So they created, they wanted to create an ideal environment, biosphere 2 in Arizona, where there would be ideal conditions for both plants and humans. Three acres of this enclosed ecosystem, controlled oxygen, controlled carbon emissions, controlled everything, right? The air temperature was, was measured and controlled. Put everything just ideal to flourish. Some scientists, men and women, got to live there, volunteered to live there, separate from the world for as long as they could. And they lasted about two years. Problems started to emerge. You can read about it and all the issues that happened. Now, I'm not going to talk about the relationship of the, the human beings, but I'm just going to use the example of, of something that, that they found out. The, the tree species, it flourished. It was noticed that the trees, they, they grew and they grew fast. And they grew quickly, but soon they became weak and would simply fall over with no apparent reason. And they, they, were, they didn't know why this was happening, so after investigating the problem, it was determined that there was one factor in the biosphere that they didn't face outside, it was the wind, the power of the wind. there was a lack of wind within the biosphere. The trees were not developing what is called stress wood. Stress wood. Stress wood develops when small cracks are formed in the, in the, in the tree's wood when put under stress, usually from the wind. And stress wood are these, these cracks that start to appear, even, even in healthy trees. They, they're either, when you cut them, you see all these... So the wind keeps trees constantly moving and you can hear them sometimes creaking and moving. It helps to, the, the tree to, <coughs> to, to grow towards the light, to seek the light, to strengthen it, to seek the best position for it to continue to grow. Without stress wood, the tree can grow very quickly but it cannot support itself fully. Many of these trees started collapsing in on themselves. It cannot survive the, the wear and tear. In other words, the trees needed some stress in order to thrive in the long run. You know where this is heading, right? You know all the stress and stuff that you complained about the last year? can't cope and all of that. Well, God knows how much, what is, your, what is your stress level. Yes, there are cracks in all of us, but, it's, uh, but God has actually put him there for a reason. 
perhaps start to appear, but maybe it's because he's strengthening our fibres as well, right? Our spiritual fibres, so we can stand up. So we don't just tip over to the next challenge when the wind's a little bit stronger. It's important for our children to also face these stresses. Don't, don't protect them so much from the world that you forget to let them grow, to make their own mistakes, to make their own decisions and understand the challenges of life. You can't bubble wrap them because God doesn't bubble wrap us either. We need to grow. We need to be strengthened. We need to be fortified. We look at the past year and see the many challenges that God has put before us, both as individuals and as a church. The Apostle Peter wrote to the Christians under severe persecution and trials. In 1 Peter, this is what we read in chapter 1. In all this you greatly rejoice. Don't forget that. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Okay, so why are they there? These have come, funny you should ask, these have come so that the provenness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. That is the purpose of why there is no water, why there is no food, why you're going through a trial, why there is that lump in the x-ray. God allowed it. God is sovereign. And God's refining process, God has many levers, as I like to say, in his toolbox. Many things that he uses in our lives to perfect us, to make us more holy, to make us more in the image of his son. So we can choose to accept the testing from God, accept the testing from God, All we can do as the Israelites did, they tested God. Which is the wrong response altogether. They tested God. And this is what what the Israelites did and this is how their hearts were hardened. To harden your heart indicates that you have not learned anything from God and eventually it leads you to, you refuse to hear him altogether because you know better. Okay. Your choice. The worst thing that can happen is that you come to church, you're exposed to his word and never change. You remain as you are. He desires that worship through music, through song, through the word, through prayer, we come together. It should stabilize us Steady us as we are blown by the wind, we stay still. And cracks appear, they are meant to be there. Stress wood. So that we don't tip over into unbelief 
into rebellion, into testing God, which is the worst thing you can do. And the lesson that the people of Israel had to learn the hard way through judgment is what he said. So I declared on oath in my anger. Yes, God does get angry. In my anger, they shall never enter my rest. If there is a benefit, a very important benefit from worship is that it enables us to learn how to rest in God. And this often, this theme of rest often comes up in the scriptures, doesn't it? Especially in Hebrews chapter 4, which quotes, Hebrews 4 actually quotes this psalm. Rest means to depend upon God's activity, not mine. I can't control. The Hebrew greeting shalom, which you should know, encapsulates this idea, this idea of peace and rest. And there is no better way to see rest than how Hebrews defines it. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 10. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his work. Enter God's rest, you rest from your own work. That is grace, isn't it? And that is what God wants for me and you. Learn from the lessons this past year and the years before. And whatever the next year throws at us, rely more and more on God because God is going to lead us there. There is actually no book you can read, no practice you can undertake, no meditation, no self-improvement course which will bring you peace of heart. It's not going to happen. Because in the end, you, you, you will not come to, to rest. You will not find that rest if you don't listen to his word, if you don't do what he says. This is why it's so important when we worship together, when we come together to listen to his word, let it correct us. Let it search our hearts to make us more and more in the image of the Son. God bless us. Amen.